Hello and welcome back to Touching Base PR Edition. My name is Jamie Gerke and I'll be your host today. This is the podcast where I help aspiring communications professionals create the careers they dream of. Through fun interviews with top-notch PR and marketing pros, you're going to gain a wide understanding of the industry and know how to make your mark. Let's do it. All right, today we have an interview with Dave Carriker, who is the founder, president, all things of that nature of Raptor Communications, a communications firm specializing in PR that is based in San Francisco. So Dave and I talk about so many things from going to community college to starting your career in broadcast journalism to then getting into PR. We also broach the topic of whether you can go from journalism into PR or whether it's kind of a one-way street where people go from PR into journalism. So it's definitely a super fun interview that I'm excited for you guys to hear, but it has also been so long since I sat down and spoke to you guys one-on-one, got to let you guys know my highlights for the week and my personal, professional. So I kind of want to get into that and tell you all about my job. So as you know, I am a graduate assistant in athletic communications at St. John's University, and I am the primary media contact for both volleyball and for softball. So this week was a super crazy week because I had our first home match for volleyball on Tuesday, and then it's currently Saturday night when I'm filming this, and we had a tournament this weekend that we were hosting. So in the course of the last seven days, I produced seven different volleyball matches, got the live stats set up, hired for them, tweeted them, did all the things, and, you know, I think I'm sounding like I did this whole production. Um, No, I really just handled the stats and, like, communicating with the SADs and stuff, But regardless, it has been the craziest weekend. Um, I barely had a moment to breathe. I left St. John's at 12 a.m. on Friday and then was back there at 11 on Saturday. So it's definitely been the wildest crazy thing. But honestly, I've learned so much. I'm getting more comfortable writing post-game recaps. I'm learning how to call volleyball stats and learning more about that every time I'm working I am learning how to do PA announcing. I actually had to announce one of the lineups yesterday because our PA announcer was running a little bit late. So they hopped on and I was like, hello and welcome back to Tafner Fieldhouse on the campus of St. John's University. And honestly, I probably sounded horrible. I wish someone got video of it, but I actually had one of my coworkers on my phone at that point um, getting stuff up on Twitter because I was so busy um, with the announcing. So there is no video footage of that, which is honestly a shame, but it's okay. Whatever. I'm sure I'll end up having to do it again sometime. On a personal note, honestly, I don't even think I have any personal highlights for the week because I feel like I've done nothing except work. This week was Rosh Hashanah Jewish holidays, which is always exciting and probably why it made it a little bit more stressful at work because I actually didn't really go in on Tuesday or Wednesday. I went in for the game on Tuesday and then just on Wednesday I didn't go into work. But on Wednesday, I was at my Hebrew school that I work at um, and I was helping them out with a Rosh Hashanah children's event. So I was actually reading books to the tiny little children and the tiny beans, and I loved it so much. Um, I love, love children, love reading to them, and I'm so excited to, like, 
take that section of my life and like implement it. I'm going to be like the two, three teacher this year for Hebrew schools. So I'll be teaching and directly reading with the kids and doing technology and library projects with them. So I'm really excited for that. And I guess I can say that's my personal highlight because it was really the only thing I did this week that wasn't St. John's related. All that being said, have you guys checked out touchingbasepr.com yet? Because if you haven't, you need to hop on over and you need to go there. There are so many more things coming to the website, like a job board that we're still working on putting together. We're going to have a kind of fashion inspo guide. And obviously more intern diaries, more days in my life are going to be coming. So, so many things are going to be happening over there. And I also want to hear from you guys about what you want to see on there. So definitely let me know in my Insta DMs at touchingbase underscore PR. All of that being said, I want you guys to hear this interview with Dave. So let's get into it. So can you go ahead for me and introduce yourself? Uh, My name is Dave Carriker, and I am the president of Raptor Communications. Amazing. So let's first start off by doing a little bit of the hot seat segment. So my first question for you is, what is one of your favorite quotes? Uh, well, let's see, how risque can I be on, on this podcast? As risque as you want to be. Okay, okay. Well, one of my favorite quotes that I use all the time is one, something that my father used to say, and, and he was not a risque person by any means, and he thought this was very funny. But um, he always used to say, you know, what we did today is we turned chicken shit into chicken salad. That's and, so funny. Yeah, and I use that. I use that quote in uh, working with my PR teams all the time. I was like, you know, what we're going to do today, guys. We're going to take chicken shit and turn it into chicken <laughs> salad. <laughs> I love that. I literally just love getting different quotes from people every day, and then I start incorporating things into my life. My friends always make fun of me because I'm like this type of person. I like I just pick up on what everyone around me is saying, and then I'll start repeating it. So I'll start saying something brand new and then my friends are like, so who said that? Because you didn't come up with that. <laughs> well, I, well, let's hope you don't have too many instances where you need to turn that <laughs> chicken sit into chicken salad. <laughs> my second question for you is if you had one free hour every day, how would you use it? Oh, God. Um, my instincts tell me that the answer is nap because I'm a big fan of afternoon naps after, you know, you work so hard in the morning, you've got all these clients coming at you, zoom, 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 zoom. And the afternoons roll around, you're exhausted by two o'clock. And so I would typically say nap, um, but, but the more earth-minded of me would say, I would love to garden for an hour every single day just to get outside and enjoy, you know, the outdoors. Have you heard of NASA's recommendations for naps? No. So NASA recommends that the ideal time for a midday nap is 26 minutes. Sounds good. That's about right. So that is whenever I'm like, I need a nap real quick. I always set an alarm for 30 minutes. I give myself like 40 minutes. I give myself four minutes to like get winded down and like fall asleep. And then I give myself 26 minutes to sleep. And then you wake up and you feel so refreshed. Yeah, I, I, I refuse to sleep over 30 minutes because if I do, I wake up very tired. Yes. It makes you groggy. The 26 minute is like the sweet spot. Okay. Not good to know. I tell that to literally everyone I know when they <laughs> have some like 26 minutes. 
So now moving into the bulk of the episode, more of the communications focused questions. Can you first start by telling me where you went to school and what you got your degree in? So I actually went to school twice. Um, the first place I went to school was a little tiny college called Allen Hancock College, which is a community, community college in Santa Maria, California. And I went there because I was trying to get California residency to go to UCLA because we couldn't afford UCLA and out of state because I grew up in Arizona. So somebody recommended, hey, just go to a community college, get your in-state you know, residency, get all those GED classes out of the way and then move on. And so I was supposed to go to UCLA after that, but um, somebody I trusted greatly who was in broadcast journalism said, UCLA is super expensive. You don't get to get on camera very quickly. You know, the seniors are the only ones that get to do that. She said Cal State Northridge, which is just over the hill in the Valley in Los Angeles, you get on air immediately. You can do radio immediately. You can do newspaper immediately, whatever you want to do. As soon as you land, they throw you in. And I was like, that's for me. So that's where I went. Yeah. So first of all, I want to talk about the community college route, because I think that that is something that is not stressed enough for people. And I think a lot of people think that they have to go to like a big four-year university right away when I've spoken to so many people that that's not the case for them. And they're still just as successful as someone that went to a four-year university, if not more successful. So I guess, tell me a little bit more about that path for you. Yeah. So I was, I was originally going to become an actor. And so that's why I was really going to UCLA was to do acting. And both of my parents worked for the National Park Service. You know, I grew up at the Grand Canyon, tiny town of 2,000 people. Um, and so we didn't have a lot of money. And, um, you know, this community college idea came, popped into my head by my English teacher. And so I went and I checked it out. And I was like, okay, great. They've got a theater program. And um, it was a really great way for me to get all of those general ed classes out of the way. But along the way, I had this very fortunate, you know, incident that, um, that happened with me. I was, I, my, my apartment was across the street from the local CBS television station and I needed to get an internship for the summer. And I just walked in there and I said, I need an internship. I want to work here. And I live across the street and they said, perfect. We have an opening right now for teleprompter operator. If you want it, it's yours. It's paid and you can get college credit. And I was like, great. And that's actually how I fell in love with broadcast journalism and moved away from acting um, and got it, got involved with that. So had it not been for that community college, um, I never would have found that opportunity. But I am a huge proponent of you know, community colleges for, you know, if you don't quite know what you want to do, don't go waste all your money on a four-year college. Like, you know, you're going to have to get those GED classes out of the way anyway. So go do those GED classes and, you know, keep finding what you might want to be doing and then go spend that extra money on the last couple of years at the four-year college. Yeah, definitely. And I, now you said that you came from a tiny town of like 2000 people and then you moved into California, like Los Angeles. So what was that like experience? Like, was it like major culture shock? <laughs> to go from a town of 2,000 people to a town of 7 million. Uh, you know, it, it, it was small town country boy makes it in the, in the city. And uh, it was a great culture shock. I mean, my stars were, my eyes were stars just the entire time. And anytime we saw a celebrity or I got to meet a celebrity, it was just one of those things where it's like, oh my God, that's so cool. 
but maybe it kept me a little more grounded than, uh, than some of my friends that actually grew up in Los Angeles. All right. So now getting into your degree, I have so many people who tell me, if you want to work in public relations, you should get your degree in public relations. And I don't think that's true because my degree is in English. Um, my school didn't even have a public relations major. So your degree is in broadcast journal, uh, broadcast journalism, you said? Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. So tell me more about that degree. Tell me some of your favorite classes that you took. And then kind of tell me why that helps you with PR. Well, when I was working at the TV station, um, you know, I started to see what journalism was all about, right? And broadcast journalism in particular. And it has the, what I liked about the acting piece of it, because, you know, the people that the journalists were acting when they got up and presented the the news. Um, But the writing part was what was most interesting to me. It's like, how do these people take a subject that's very broad and boil it down into 30 seconds or 20 seconds, or maybe it's a package that's, um, you know, 45 seconds or a minute. Um, I was just fascinated with the idea of taking something that might seem overwhelming and making it bite-sized and very, very understandable. So that's what got me really interested about it. And um, so I was very focused on journalism, but at Northridge, um, communications and, and public relations are in the same school, so along with journalism. So it's all in the same school. So you kind of run into the PR people all the time. Um, but you discover that you're basically doing the same thing. They're writing a press release. You're writing a script. Um, you know, you, they're, they're, they're boiling down a new product launch something. You're boiling down also a new product launch. <laughs> so so there's, there were so many parallels to that, you know, and particularly when you think about the, the intangibles of the stress, the pressure, the quickly need to do something, the... How do you adjust very quickly on the dime? The journalism and public relations, it's, it's, it's the same thing. You know? yeah. PR is basically, you don't go on the camera, but you're still selling over and over again. Mm-hmm. So what was kind of like one of your favorite classes that you took while getting your degree? Um, you know what? The television production classes, I think, were the most fascinating for me. I had already seen, I had, I had already seen a lot of it. Um, when I was on um, working at the television station, but then all of a sudden I was on the other side of the camera. So it's the idea that somebody's talking in your ear and giving you directions, you know, while you're reading something else, somebody might be telling you, okay, we're dropping this next story, or, you know, your feet, your, your next, your next interview isn't coming up there. The live feed is dead stall, (laughs) you know? So, um, I just thought it was really fascinating how, you know, it looks so orchestrated and uh, when you watch it on television, but there's so many different things happening uh, and so many different things that can go wrong. Mm-hmm. That, uh, uh, it makes it very exciting. So like, do they teach you how to read well from the teleprompter? Um, I, you know what, I continued to do acting classes um, throughout um, my broadcast work. And uh, I think that helps out. That really does. And um, it's funny to me when I watch, um, if you've watched the morning show or, you know, and watch Jennifer Aniston try to act like she's a newscaster, she does a terrible job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she does not come across as, neither does Reese Witherspoon. They don't come across as newscasters. So you, you need that blend. But I do think that it, it helps to add 
you know, there needs to be a little bit of drama. There needs to be a little bit of emphasis. There needs to be pausing. All those things you kind of learn in acting school. So um, uh, it, it, it's a unique craft for sure. Yeah. So the reason I asked that question is because I have started seeing so many um, like news anchors on my TikTok for you page. And they're all like, oh, can you pass the teleprompter test? And they have like a video of the teleprompter scrolling. Yeah. Do edit and like, try to do it and it's so hard yeah it's not you no know, nobody should think that you can just start reading a teleprompter all of a sudden it, it is a skill um you know it's uh um it, you just you just learn it and you kind of get it it's you can get into this kind of weird zone and you can see when you anchors fall out of the zone when the teleprompter starts screwing up they, they really get kind of flustered there when that goes off because they're in that little zone because you're just, you know, the text is just moving up the screen and you're just doing your thing. But, but also you've read the scripts multiple times before you get, see it on teleprompter. So you're not just getting thrown on the teleprompter. You have spent an hour beforehand reading the scripts. That makes me feel better about not doing well at the TikTok <laughs> at all. But <laughs> moving away from there, um, obviously you did that first internship while you were still um, right across the street from them, but then moving on into more of your college career. Um, did you do any more internships, any other jobs? Kind of what did that look like for you? Yeah, I did. Uh, I interned, let's see, oh gosh, I interned all over the place. I interned at um, KTLA in Los Angeles. I was a sports intern um, and I was log, I spent my entire internship logging hockey games and baseball games. So where, where, where during the game, something interesting happened that we needed to add into the sports cast. Um, and then I uh, interned at a, um, at a movie studio that's defunct now, but reading scripts and um, going through scripts and finding interesting scripts for them to, to perhaps make into movies, which I thought was really fascinating. Oh, that sounds like so much fun. Yeah. It was, it, well, there's a lot of bad scripts. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, so now kind of walk me out of college. I know like after you went to school, you did some anchor reporting work. So kind of tell me about that. What was that like? So I, I graduated college and um, I called my former um, news assignment editor at uh, the CBS station in Santa Maria. And I said, I'm graduating, I would love to come back. He said, well, we don't have any reporting jobs but we have a, uh, a cameraman job, field camera. And I said, great, I'll, I'll do it. And he said, so I, I went up there and I said, here's the deal. I will do field camera work during the week um, if you let me report for free on the weekends. And I'll work for free on the weekends but you have to put my stuff on the air. And he's like, oh, a free reporter, sure. So I did that and I did it enough that um, the job for the Santa Barbara Bureau Chief for CBS came up and um, he's like, we're moving, you to, we're moving you to Santa Barbara, you're gonna run the CBS Bureau there. And it was a one man band where I was doing all my shooting, all my editing, all my reporting by myself. I drove the news van, I did everything. I you know, cleaned the toilets, came to the trash because it was this tiny little closet of an office that I worked out of. But it was it was very very cool. And then um, from there, I went to Reno, Nevada, to work in NBC as a reporter and a weekend anchor. And I jumped over there because they had a satellite truck, and it allowed me to get on CNN and some other big channels to really build up my tape. Yeah, 
So then moving on from there, how did you get to starting your own agency? Like, where did that change happen? <laughs> well, I, uh, in Reno, the, uh, while I was in Reno, the station got sold and they turned it into a tabloid station. So it was all tabloid, all chasing ambulances, all just really stuff I didn't want to do. So I, we agreed to, to separate and I moved back to Los Angeles and um, I was just doing a little bit of acting here and there. And uh, a friend said, hey, um, I know you're into video games. Um, we have an opening over here for a, um, a PR, whatever the most junior person at a PR agency is, um, at Rogers and Cowan in Los Angeles, which is the big celebrity PR firm in Los Angeles. And he said, we have a video game client that needs some help. I said, I'll come over and help you guys write some stuff. Then I got the bug. And then so I really got going. And then so that was a that was a Ketchum agency. So then I went to the Ketchum agency up in San Francisco and I led the Sega account there. And then I just kind of bounced around from uh, in-house jobs until uh, I opened up my own agency right before COVID, which is uh, maybe not the best time to start your own small agency, but <laughs> things are working out. And you know, it's so funny that you say it's maybe not the best time to start because I've been doing this podcast for about a year and I think you are the third person to tell me that they started their agency right before COVID happened. <laughs> um, so it seems to be a common recurring theme. Um, I feel like so many people though, tried like tried new things in their life. And then all of a sudden COVID happened and it was like, what do I do now? Um, but what did opening your own agency look like for you? What was the appeal of that? What was the process like? Well, I, I never really planned to do it. So I was at Campari, um, group, which is uh, the sixth largest spirits company in the world. You might know them as Campari or Aperol. If you love an Aperol spritz, that's us. Uh, Wild Turkey Bourbon, Sky Vodka, Grand Marnier, Espelon Tequila. So I had been with them for 12 years running comms in North America, and they decided to move from San Francisco to New York. And I didn't really want to move from San Francisco. Um, and I went out to New York for a year, and then I said, hey, I, I can't do this any longer. I'm going to go back to San Francisco. And I, we parted ways. And so I was back in San Francisco looking at jobs. And I was like, you know what? I'm tired of making money for other people. Let's just start my own agency. And my first client was actually Campari because they didn't replace me. Mm -hmm. So I, I had a really nice gig with them for uh, almost a year working with them. And then I just started speaking, picking up small spirits clients, you know, really kind of staying focused. I didn't didn't stretch outside what I was known for in the industry because I've done spirits PR for 16 years total. So people knew me, I had the contacts. I didn't all of a sudden say, I'm gonna do tech PR or I'm gonna do fashion. I stayed focused on what people knew me for and it, it's been really cool. And I've got some big clients like Jim Beam but I also have these really small little startup precious little brands that are really fun to work on. I think that that is so great that you kind of knew what you were good at and you stuck to it. I think a lot of people, their downfall is that when they start taking on clients, they start taking on like whoever they can and then they're overwhelmed and their agencies spread too wide and then they don't have a specific niche. So I think it's smart that you knew right away to stick in that niche and to kind of stick to what you were known for and what you were good at. Yeah, it's, it, it, I, I advocate this all the time is it's, it's good to be known for something and it's good to be important in, 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 in a very specific area. Um, the, the, you know, I had, when I started off, I had like 
this kids activity website that wanted to work with me. I had a, a lock, a lock company that wanted to work with me, a coffee company that wanted to work with me. And I, you know, all of it looks straight and sounds like, oh, I need to get these clients because I need the money, um, which may be fine in the short term, but you really want to be known as the guy that does this. And now I am the guy that does small spirits companies getting off the ground. And I, I bat people away constantly. I'm, I'm like too busy, too busy. And it's, in a, it's a really great space. And plus it also really helps with your media contacts as well that you're able to concentrate. Like if I had to figure out what editors covered kids activity websites, somebody I've never spoken to in the past, it, it just wouldn't go well. Yeah, no, it really is like having those connections already. I remember I, my first internship that I did, one of our clients was a spirits company. Um, so I, I was making media lists for them and doing all of that. And then when I was applying for another um, job somewhere and I had to do a writing test, they asked me to do like a sample media list. And I was like, oh my God, this is great because it's another spirits company. I already know who I can pitch these things to. I already know how to give them this list. Yeah. So I definitely love yeah. that. I also, I feel like uh, spirits always has like this little place in my heart because my first um, actual placement was for our spirits company that we worked with. So it's always like, whenever I think back to like that first moment, that first media hit, it's always like that spirits work that I did. Yeah, that's fun. That's fun. I, I think back to the same, like my video games are where I got my start. So I think about those, you know, getting Walt Mossberg in the Wall Street Journal, who was like the guy. When I got that first hit, I was like, look what I just did. I'm in the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, that's definitely so cool. We all have that like first moment. And then that first, like the moment that you know that you're doing what you're good at and knowing that you're able to do it. It's like a great yeah. thing. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, so tell me kind of what a day-to-day, I know that every day is kind of going to be different. So maybe you're like a weekly, what does that look like for you? Well, it's, it's funny when you're a small agency working with small startup clients, um, you think your day is going to be, I'm writing a press release, <clears throat> I'm pitching some media, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing stuff, stuff that's very traditional to the PR discipline but these smaller companies are constantly needing all these other things. So for example, before I jumped on the phone with you, I was writing meta tags for a website for a whiskey client because they didn't have any meta tags on their website. Now I am not a website mm -hmm. you know, designer, um, but I know enough that the website needs meta tags so you know, search engines can find it. Um, you know, and I was, I was helping them with the copy on their website. So it's, it's, what's great about these smaller things is there's a new adventure that's gonna come every day. But I try, to, I try to focus my mornings on, you know, a scan of, the, scan of the news, scan of all the social sites for the clients to see, you know, what's happening, who's talking about what, talking to a couple of media, making sure to talk to a couple of media, you know, even I'm, I'm just checking in. And then I get into the kind of the bulk, um, which more and more is meetings, 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 and Zoom, 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 Zoom. So I guess going off of that, my first question for you is kind of, what are your favorite ways to get your news? How do you go about getting information into your mind every day? Oh, um, uh, let's see. Um, I, uh, I'm, I subscribe to several little newsletters. 
And um, Cheddar has a great one that comes in every morning. And it's funny, um, whoever does, I also watch ABC local news every morning. Whoever does, whoever's the uh, producer of that local news clearly also gets the Cheddar morning newsletter because it literally follows story <laughs> for story for story. It's the same thing I'm watching on ABC. Um, and then Axios has uh, another morning newsletter that I like to look at and get a little more and uh, engage a little depth, more with depth. And then New York Times, I read every morning as well. Yeah, the reason I asked that question is I've actually been asked that in like job interviews before they ask me how I consume my news. Um, because that's really important for PR, obviously, and like knowing like what's going on in the world and like knowing if you would be able to maybe find something that you could then pitch your client about or whatever it may be. So I love asking people that question then, because I feel like it might help people out, like find out where they should get their news from. Well, it's, you know, it's very important about this in, and I'll tell you a little anecdotal story. So I interviewed at Microsoft one time. And I got asked that question, what, what's the first thing you read in the morning? And I said, USA Today. And she goes, USA Today? Oh, what a you know, pedestrian newspaper. That's not the New York Times. You don't read the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal first. And I was like, well, the products I'm selling right now are being sold to the readers of USA Today. So that's where I start, is what is the consumer reading? Not what I think is intellectually stimulating, not what I think, you know, is the financial indicators and things like that. So, you know, for my spirits clients, um, I actually go to Twitter first because I follow all of the key spirits reporters on Twitter and they all jump on the morning and they're all chitty chatty and I just see what they're talking about. And that's how I find what kind of stories I might want to pitch for those specific things. Then I get to the New York Times. New York Times doesn't write anything about spirits or they rarely do. So that's not really helping my clients, but then I can find the more, the broader pop culture stories and things like that. It is not until very recently that I fully understood the power of getting news and information from Twitter. I, for so long, I like totally slept on Twitter. I was like, I don't need to be on Twitter. I do not need it. And then I, very recently started a new job and I was on Twitter for the clients I was working with. And so I'm scrolling through their feeds and I was like, wait, this has all the information I need for everything. Yeah. Yeah. So very quickly went ahead, made my own Twitter, made it like specifically for that niche, just so I could find all of that information right away. And it's been a game changer. Yeah, I actually, for my clients, what I do with when they're launching a new brand, I tell them to wipe out their Twitter. Everybody they're following on Twitter, wipe it out. And here's all the editors you should be following. And here's all the competitive brands you should be following. And just follow these. Because then you can see in your, if your feed is literally mm-hmm. just that. Because, you know, most brands, they'll be like, oh, I want to follow JLo. I want to follow, like... She's not going to follow you back yes. <laughs> Just, and you're not going to learn anything from her feed or maybe, maybe I'll learn a, a pop culture moment or something like that. But um, it's so important to follow and engage with the editors are all sitting on Twitter. They still love Twitter. Um, so as a PR person, you should, uh, you should always look at Twitter. Um, I, I look at it before Instagram in terms of what are the editors talking about? Yeah. And I mean, Instagram just keeps on changing and 
you never know what you're going to get when you open up Instagram. I feel like I could be following a hundred people. And then the first five things I see on my Instagram feed are not from any of those people that I'm following because they just keep changing things up. Mm -hmm. So I feel like Instagram is never a reliable source anymore. Uh. Um, what would you say is kind of like the best part of your job? And then like on the contrary, like you're not so favorite part. Um, you know, the best part of my job is, um, I guess, you know, with these newer, newer startups that I work with that don't have a lot of expertise in this, you know, there's still that great, I got you in the New York times, I got you in men's journal. And, and there's just such satisfaction that comes from a client that is just so thrilled mm -hmm. that, you know, that, and, and that we never could have done this without you. It's such a great, you know, compliment um, to you. Um, what, what don't I like about my job? Let's see, um, being on call 24 hours a day in case something goes sideways. Um, though I do have this, I, let's call it a sick, um, sick addiction to fixing things for people. So I've, I, I've kind of, I've gone through so many crises, uh, communications moments in my life that I can, I can step back and remove myself from it and just get it, shift directly into problem solving mode. And it's kind of a unique skill. It drives my husband crazy because I do this in our relationship as well. But, but just shifting into like all emotions removed, how do I fix this? You know, I'm going to fix this through PR. And, and um, though I don't like getting the call at two in the morning or midnight saying that, you know, the CEO has done something silly on social media, I, I do get an energy from, from fixing it. So going back to something you mentioned before, um, you said that you were doing um, like meta tags for a client for their website. You've just done so many things with your job. And I feel like that's kind of both the appeal and the not so appeal of um, working for your own agency or a small agency, or even I know um, when I was in college interning at a small agency, it's kind of like you get a taste of so many different things and you get to try out so many different things. But then you're also like, oh my God, I've done so many things. I don't know when I, do, I don't know what my job is. <laughs> well, it's, it's, you know, it's the constant evolution, right? So, so we are beyond PR is PR. PR is now also influencer relations. It's also now social media. You know, it's even paid social media. Like you're getting into all of these different things. I think it's fascinating. And, um, you know, probably my least favorite thing is influencer relations. Um, and my most interesting thing I'm most interested in is social media and trying, you know, how to manipulate um, brands on social media. But, but I think, I think you have to, uh, if you open up your own business, you have to be able to, you know, maneuver and tilt and adjust and pivot all of those things, because that's what the client, that's what makes you valuable to the client. Mm -hmm. If a client, client, you know, I was, just, I was literally yesterday, helping a person with their sales strategy in Florida. And I'm not a salesperson, but I know enough about the spirits market in Florida and who he needs to talk to and what stores he's supposed to be in. And again, he's just so grateful that, you know, they, they view you as part of the team when you can provide more than just your niche. And that's very important. Yeah. And I think that's kind of why it's so important that if you want to work in PR, you kind of get experience everywhere. Um, I think that, sales kind of gets a bad rap. Not everyone wants to work in sales, but 
it's a helpful skill to have, even just, even if you don't work for a big sales company, even if you're not selling sales every day, when I was in between college and grad school, I was working at my gym selling gym membership. So having that skill to be able to sell, having skills to do so many different things is really important. And I think that's something that every wannabe PR person needs to realize. Yeah. And, and uh, most of my, a lot of my skills I have learned through listening. So I, you know, I, so I was on the executive team at Campari. So I would sit in these meetings, day long meetings and listening to sales reports and listening to HR reports. And it's easy to zone out and just be like, I'm just going to sit here on my computer and not pay attention. But by paying attention, I learned enough to be dangerous, as I like to say about all of these different aspects, you know, even supply chain and manufacturing um, that, you know, with these new client, new startup businesses that don't know anything, I'm at least to provide some kind of um, support beyond PR that they find very valuable. I love that you just said, I learned to be dangerous. I think that is an iconic quote, honestly. Yeah, learn enough to be dangerous. That's the quote. (laughs) I absolutely love that. So now, I only have a few more questions for you, but my first one is, um, is there anything specific that you would recommend to someone in college or someone right out of college? What would you tell them to do if they want to work in PR? So the first thing I always tell people that are looking to get into PR is um, agency is the way to go. Always start at an agency. I, I frankly, I never hired anybody who hadn't worked at an agency in some part in their life because you learn, you learn very fast, you get to deal with a bunch of different clients, you learn discipline, you learn client service. Because remember, a PR, a PR organization within a company is an agency. You're an agency and your client is everybody else at the company. So, um, so an agency is the first stop, but think about what you like to do. And then go find an agency that does that. If you like fashion, then go find a fashion agency. If you like tech, go find a tech agency. What you don't want to do is you don't want to jump into somebody, you know, like a big agency, like a Porter and a Valley or Edelman or something like that, which has, which is a large generalist agency. Because if you jump into one of those, you might not necessarily know where you're going to end up. So you could be working on Johnson and Johnson baby shampoo, but you have no interest in baby shampoo. (laughs) So try to find, you know, even if it's a smaller agency, an agency that has kind of a specialist niche that you're actually interested in versus being tempted by perhaps a higher salary at an Edelman or, um, you know, Hill Milton or Port the Valley, where it's a generalist agency where you just don't know what you're going to be working on when you get there. I love that. I think that is absolutely so important. I always tell people that you don't truly know PR until you've been at an agency, even if you've interned at one, if you've worked at one, that agency life, I feel like is something that like prepares you for the best of it and the worst of it. Yeah. yeah. Because you get, and especially with a small one, you get to do so many different things and you can really get thrown into exactly what you want to do. Yeah. So my final question for you, the kind of wraps up this whole interview is, if you could do your whole path over again through college, through the beginning stages of your career to where you are now, is there anything that you would have done differently or that you would change? 
Um, it's funny you say that. Um, I, I think about this all the time that I want, I should have stayed in broadcast journalism longer. I should have done more with that. But it's funny, I, I recently made a friendship with somebody who's an anchor here in San Francisco. And his life is not glamorous. It's not fun. And he's, he constantly says, God, I wish I was in PR. So I'm glad, I'm glad maybe that I didn't do that. I think the other thing is um, there were some big opportunities along the way that I didn't do. Um, you know, early, I could have gone to Google very, very early in my career and very early in their, um, their career, um, but I didn't want to drive uh, you know, an hour away. Same with eBay. I was like, auctions on the internet, who's going to do that? <laughs> so um, so there, was, there were some opportunities that came along that I, I, I overlooked, but you know, I, I'm a big believer in everything happens for a reason and don't look back and you know, make, make the future you want. Um, and so I think you know, wherever paths I took and wherever I ended up, I think I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, and just going back to what you mentioned right at the beginning of that with your friend in broadcast journalism now, it's like, it's not glamorous always. It's, and neither is PR. I think people sometimes think that PR is gonna be glamorous. It's not. Um, <laughs> But the transition from journalism to PR is so seamless for so many people. And I've heard so many things about like people going from journalism into PR, but I haven't really heard about people going from PR into journalism. So I guess my question for you is, do you think that's a feasible path for people too? No, it's not really because um, they, the journalistic ladder is journalism, journalism, journalism. Um, I think you could get into print journalism um, in a more of a local way or more of a blog way or more, you know, something a little more specific and editorial. Um, but like, yeah, I couldn't, I probably couldn't go back into television unless I wanted to go all the way back to, you know, the tiniest little town mm -hmm. <laughs> and make, you know, I'll tell you, I, my, my starting salary as a um, television reporter in Santa Barbara was $19,000 a year. So, so you tell me if I want to go back to that glamour. Yeah. And, and like you said, glamour, it's not all glamour. It's not all rainbows and butterflies. It's no. all going to be hard work, but it's all going to lead you to where you want to be one day. That's exactly right. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story, sharing your advice, sharing your tips. It was so great having you on the show. Great to be here, Jamie. I really appreciate it.